Welcome to Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. I'm a serial entrepreneur and an expert in raising investment and business growth. Our mission at Enter the Arena is to empower female founders to fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business with investment expertise and business coaching. Here we share the stories of inspirational female founders who've raised investment to inspire you to do the same. You'll hear their honest accounts of what it was really like to secure funding, the highs, the lows and the challenges they experienced on the journey. And along the way, we'll discuss top tips for how you can be successful too. speaking with Nicola Piercy, the founder of Stripe and Stare, who make the world's most comfortable knickers, all sustainably sourced from trees. Now, Nicola is a bit of a serial entrepreneur. She's built businesses in multiple sectors, including a local community website, a business buying and selling property online, as well as running a cooking school and events venue. Um, she's also had several senior marketing roles, one for a wind-up radio business, another for a vodka brand. So she certainly had her fingers in a lot of pies. But in 2017, along with her co-founder, Katie Lopez, she set up Stripe and Stare, born from a need to have a great pair of pants that not only looked great, but felt great. Over the years, the business has expanded into loungewear, um, sleepwear, clothing, and is now a certified B Corp with sustainability at its heart. They sell in over 80 countries. They've got a team of 28 and have sold over a million pairs of knickers. That is a lot of knickers. Um, Over the last six years, Nicola has completed five fundraising rounds for Stripe and Stare, raising a total of £3.6 million. So let's meet Nicola and hear her story of building the business and how she funded the growth. So welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour to be asked. It's great to see you. Last time I saw you, we were in a jacuzzi together, but that is a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, let's get personal from the get-go. What is so special about your knickers, Nicola? Um, well, they are, as you mentioned, sustainably, sustainably sourced from beechwood trees. So they're super soft, um, two times softer than cotton. They've got flat lock stitching, no VPLs, no hungry bums. Um, and they've been voted the world's most comfortable knickers by all our customers, as well as, um, you know, top publications, Vogue, Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, you name it. So yes, wow. good pair I, of I, knickers. I didn't know you could make knickers from trees. I know, wooden knickers, who would have thought it? <laughs> I mean, is that something that is an established thing or is that something that you innovated? Yeah, the fa- the fabric is um, a company called Lensing right. who are, you know, world first in sustainably producing fibre. Okay. So this fibre has been around for 30 years. So it's, you know, it's the cutting edge. It's got all the accreditations known to man um, and it's also biodegradable, which is amazing. So... Our knickers, they have elastane running through them, but you could cut off the lace, put them in the garden and put them in the compost and they would disappear. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I mean, I have to say, you know, I am a fan um, and I will let you into a little secret. If this podcast interview wasn't being um, done as a video interview as well, I would probably be sitting here in my stripe and stare pyjamas. 
because um, I don't really ever take them off. They're very stylish, very, very comfortable. And the knickers are too. Um, of course, I'm wearing my Stripe and Stare Friday knickers today. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> it's it's always, it's always, we give them, we give them to the team and it's always um, who can wear a Wednesday on a Friday. You know? uh, okay. And there are certain people who just cannot do that. No, I, I don't think I others, can do that. <laughs> no, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I am really intrigued about kind of how you and Katie kind of got this off the ground. What what made you I mean, tell us more about the story. What made you want to to set up this business and how did you go about it? So Katie um used to have some stores on the King's Road, a store on the King's Road where she sold designer fashion like Chinty and Parker, Rag and Bone, bought all of those um brands into the UK for the first time. And she got interested in underwear because she started selling um, hanky-panky thongs. And women used to come in and buy armfuls of them. And she's like, what is going on? This is this is crazy. But obviously, we're English and we're, we want a full knicker. We, you know, we don't want lacy thongs. We want a proper knicker. <laughs> um, and so she looked around. She couldn't find anything. And so she started developing this, this knicker. And obviously, that was the time when we were all waking up to what the fashion world was doing to the planet. Um, and so it was obviously just had to be sustainably produced. She had a great sort of market research because she'd do one production run and then all the customers would come in and say, oh, I'm not sure about this label here. And, you know, I remember sort of label gate when it was at the side and we were like, oh, not sure about that. So next production run, it moved to the back and um so you know we had she had this great focus group and uh we she decided to close down the stores and everyone was just loving the knickers they became the best selling thing in the store so we'd worked together in the past and we were old friends her sister is one of my best friends so we knew we worked well together we knew we trusted each other and she said right i want to set up a new business um Will you come on board? Be the yin to my yang. Um, we're very fortunate that everything she's good at, I'm terrible at, and vice versa. Um, and everything she enjoys, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I joked, you know, so it's um very good team. And so we, and she also had a seed fund. She had someone who said, right, I've got some money. I'll invest it in a business um, if you get someone, someone to come on on the journey with you. So that's how we started in 2017. And you had the investment right at the start then, which is fantastic. Yes, which is amazing, okay. which, you know, was a real um, plus. And being typical female founders, you know, we were very um, conservative. We just wanted to start very small, test the market, um, go really slowly, just figure out what was best. And we launched, I think we got the funding and started the business, you know, on company's house at the end of august and we launched at spirit of christmas first sale spirit of christmas in october that year um so wow. it was fast um and a whirlwind and it's been non-stop ever since <laughs> wow you really didn't mess about did you where are the where are the knickers made where are you where are you based they are made in in china with adam okay who created the first prototype that was sewed by Katie's mother, who still works with us as well. Um, so he has been 
you know, Katie calls him her Chinese husband because they've spoken every day for 20 years, <laughs> a little bit less now. But, um, you know, so he has been fundamental to the business. And, and so we work very closely with him still, which is amazing. Amazing. And um, for those who need a kind of visual idea of what the knickers are, are like, because um, they're quite striking, can you explain a bit more about the kind of the, the design? Yeah, so they're sort of our hero is is the lace. So we've got lace on all three sides and they're fun and they're joyful. And, you know, I mean, our best-selling knicker day in, day out is a black knicker, but everyone has black knickers and then they have the hot pinks and the greens and the oranges and the prints and the patterns um, as well. So, you know, underwear doesn't have to be boring and sustainability yes. definitely doesn't have to be boring. Absolutely not. Fantastic. So that first bit of funding got you off the blocks and you were out selling. And then, um, and you've raised a lot since. You've done a lot of fundraising around. So 2018. So you were working on a crowdfund, weren't you? Is that right? Sort of about a year later? Yeah. So about a year later, we'd sort of found our feet a bit, just, you know, um, realized we needed to raise some money, decided to go and do a crowdfund. So, um, we, as I don't know, if, for those who, who don't know, if you go onto the crowd cubes and the cedars, you have to raise, you know, around 50% before you even get on the platform because people like FOMO, you know, it's, it's, if something's overfunding or if something's already funded, if you saw something on the website and was like, oh, we've, we've raised a hundred pounds out of a hundred thousand, everyone's like, oh, that's clearly a rubbish company. If you've raised 99,000 out of a hundred thousand, everyone's like, oh, what's going on? It's amazing. I, I need to get involved. So, you know, you have to start quite, um, you know, so you have to find a lot of the money before you go out there. So we'd started to do that. And we sent an email out to our very small customer database at that time. Um, and we got a really good response. We found some other angels from other different networks. Um, and we had, yeah, one of one of our share, one of our directors, of our company now came from that round and his wife was an early fan and he just emailed out of the blue and said, you know, oh, if you've still got SEIS, um, I'll, t I'll take it. We we're like, who are you? You know, what, where does this come from? This is insane. Um, so that was very exciting. And now he represents our shareholders on our board, which is, which is lovely. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and, and crowdfunding isn't easy, is it? I mean, there's a lot involved in it. But while you were doing that, um, you had a quite a seismic event happen in your personal life. And I'm sure this isn't easy to talk about. But are you happy to share what happened while you were doing that fundraise? Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, the, so we were full on crowd um, crowdfunding, meeting investors, had back to back meetings in the diary with investors. And, and the day this email came back, came through from from um, from our our now director um, was just this amazing day. And then that evening, um, my husband died unexpectedly. So um, basically just died in the sleep. Um, so it was, yeah, it was uh, awful, yeah, obviously. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, impossible to yeah. And I mean, just awful. I can't imagine. And I mean, yeah, I imagine, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, 
so when something like that happens, I mean, your world falls apart. How did you, how did you manage to kind of get through it? Because you were running the business, you were in the middle of a fundraise and then this happens. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I remember the last text message, you know, Katie said to me, was like, oh my God, can this day get any better? Because, you know, we just had this big um, response from our, our director and, you know, we were nailing it. We were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, and then obviously Luke died, which was just shocking on all levels. So it was, yeah, it was really, really tough. It was... Um, but you know, when you when you're in that situation, I mean, obviously, I then started doing. You know, we had all these investor meetings the following week, and we we pushed them out by a week, and then the next week I turned up and did a day of investor meetings in person, traipsing around London, ten days after Luke died, which was absolutely insane. Thinking about it now, um, you know, I had full on panic attacks between every single one. Um, I sat there in a sort of dazed state and um, not sure. I think we did get funding from some of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know how you got through it. And I just think how amazing that you managed to kind of hold it together. Um, so I think, I mean, <laughs> I think the lesson that, you know, we can all take from that is actually that um, it is tough fundraising, but you know, you've been through something just incredible and so devastating and, and yet you still managed to get there and I think that is just testament to your dedication and passion and and uh and drive you know I don't know whether to say congratulations it kind of doesn't feel like the right word to say because in so many ways I kind of wish I almost wish that you could have yeah. just like stopped everything and focused yeah. on yourself <laughs> And we, and you know, and I, and I did, and we, we didn't go through with the crowdfund because the idea of, you know, making a jolly video and and selling our souls that way was just not going to happen. Um, and we were fortunate that we raised, you know, a, a considerable amount that that we were fine. So we didn't, we didn't do the crowdfunding. Okay. So, um, so yes, yeah, so and you know, and and the business at that point was very small. It was just you know, Katie and myself and her mum have um helping yeah. packing orders so it was it was you know it was it was a really good stage of the business because I could say nope I'm not up for it today okay to be like no don't worry we'll try again tomorrow and then the next day I'm like yep yeah, okay I need to delve into a spreadsheet for a morning and mm -hmm. then I'm like right nope can't do anymore okay. so you know it was a really good um time yeah, good. But it was it would kept, kept me focused, but in a in a way that I I could manage. Yeah, so good you didn't do the crowdfund, made and, and amazing that you got the round done. So well done. Um, so tell us a bit then what happened after that race. So you'd raised kind of one hundred and forty thousand pounds, which is you know a nice sum to get you to the next level. What were you doing in the business at that stage to to grow it? Um, when you think back, do you remember? So at that stage of the business, we were very much you know out and about wheeling and dealing you know all the christmas markets the christmas fairs spirit of christmas um you know instagram was kind of six years ago it was it was um much easier to gift people and not expect huge sums um for that for that uh, pleasure mm -hmm. so you know so that was 
that was basically what we sort of focused on. We really built the business through word of mouth, which is just incredible. Um, and then obviously a year and a half after that, we went into the pandemic. Yeah, so. it's just one thing after another, isn't it, really? What, what, happened yeah. to, what happened to your business in the pandemic? What were your customers up to? Well, yeah, I mean, we we sort of don't like to say this, but, you know, it was really good for us. Mm. Um, you know, we were in the we were in the comfort space. We were in the independent small business space. We were in the sustainability space. So we ticked all the boxes for people wanting to shop ethically and well and comfortably. And we had some great Instagrams, um, you know, Fern Cotton wore one of our tie-dye sweatshirts. It went viral. We had a waiting list of like 600 people for this tie-dye sweatshirt. It was just crazy. And um, so we just, just managing all of that and getting through it really. It was more about how do we get stock and how do we get orders out um, rather than anything else. Hmm. So did that did that then mean that you needed more funding to help you to help support that 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 massive growth? Yes, yes, exactly. So then we moved into a warehouse. We needed a bigger warehouse. We do all our own fulfillment. Then we needed to make it a smart warehouse um, so anyone could come off the street and pick an order um, rather than you know Black Friday four years ago, which was you know chaos people wandering aimlessly around trying to find a pink knicker in the shelf, you know. um, Now it's a lot more streamlined and, um, you know, easier to manage. So, yes, we needed all the funding to get get the operations really sort of up to speed. And also then... So that was kind of... So in the middle of a pandemic, huge growth, big investment needed to manage the production and streamline things um, I imagine also to spend on marketing and all the all that good stuff so you at that point you were sort of looking for a much bigger funding round um, is that right so kind of more like a yeah. VC territory tell us about that because it's very different isn't it raising money from angels to going for that yeah. venture you know bigger venture capital round how did you feel about yeah that so we came out we came out of the um, we came out of COVID and we got some people to analyze our numbers and you know they were all um, saying how amazing they were and how we really needed a strong growth partner to um, push growth. So we started looking at the VCs and it was quite a lengthy process and obviously you've got to do your due diligence on them as well. So we ended up with about sort of four or five term sheets on the table in the summer. And um, so term sheets are basically when when you get an offer from a VC, um, I know you know this, but uh, those out there that don't, (laughs) um, you get get a term sheet, which is um, basically has all there. So they'll be like, okay, yes, we'll we'll invest in you, but we want this type of share that gives out this type of dividends, or we want this special, or we want a discount, or, you know, they all have their own, rules and terms and and things that they want so we chose bgf the british growth fund um they are funded by the banks so they're a lot less aggressive i would say than than the um private vcs um they're much more passive and supportive so it felt like the right 
person to go to as that first entry level. Julia here. I hope you are enjoying this podcast episode. So let's just take a short break because I'd really like to let you know about the fundraising academy for female founders that I run. Now, if you're looking to raise investment and you'd like the very best training and support as you go through the journey, then I would love to help you because joining the program is going to empower you with the strategy, skills and support you need for success with your raise from ensuring you have an investable company, preparing your pitch assets like your pitch deck and financials, knowing exactly how to reach out to the right investors, how to have great conversations with them that lead to them investing in you. And you're going to get all the tools and templates you need and check-ins every week. And alongside all of that, we support you with your mindset and your confidence, which is so important when you're fundraising. You'll get to meet your peers who are going through the same process too. And you'll also have online support whenever you need it. You can join group coaching sessions and you can also get one-to-one time with me too. We have helped dozens of amazing women raise investment through our programme and we'd love to help you too. So if you'd like more information on the Fundraising Academy for female founders, then just go to entertherearena.co.uk and we'll see you there. Let, I mean, let's just let's just wind back a minute because like, it's every founder's dream to have four term sheets from VCs in front of them. Okay, that is a great achievement because all of a sudden you've got some competition. You've got an incredible. You've got the choice. The power is with you. Yeah. So I'd love to dig in to that a little bit more and understand. You know, how did you get four term sheets from VCs? What do you think you did that was that led to that position? What are the top couple of things two three things that that really led to that result well it's hard um we just we just went out there and just kept meeting people we just met as many people as we could um we got introductions from people um we you know we talked to probably hundreds of people um and you know i suppose ultimately we've got a great product and um and people people saw saw the growth potential in it and um yeah so we were very very fortunate yeah oh you're underplaying that i mean (laughs) (laughs) you really are because you don't get four term sheets from vcs unless you've got a really great investment proposal and you're you're pitching it well and you are incredibly impressive founders so um i'm just going to put that out there because you're underplaying it a little bit there (laughs) Um, when you saw those term sheets, when and and you looked at them, and I, I know you've already explained why you went with with the British uh, with the Business Growth Fund because it's less aggressive. But when you looked at the other term sheets, were they very different? Were there things on them which you found not quite right, or made you feel a little bit uncomfortable about going down a particular route? Yeah, so quite a few of them have a have a sort of, you know, you will exit in three years for this price, otherwise we can replace the entire management team. You know, it's that kind of like, oh, okay. Um, you know, that kind of feeling. And and also as well, it's like it's like a marriage. You have to get on with that person, you have to trust those people, you have to, you know, we we've always when we started the business, we've we said from day one we'll never work with anyone we don't we don't like as a person, we don't trust implicitly and who doesn't get shit done. Mm. 
And that's been our sort of founding principles of everyone we work with. <laughs> I love that. Do you get shit done? If not, move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Move on. But wow, um, I mean, that's, and, they are quite, that, that is quite kind of aggressive terms. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if those are exact terms, but, yeah, you know, they felt, feeling. they it felt, you know, yes, exactly. It was just didn't feel the right mix. Mm. You know, one of them, I, I fortunately wasn't on the call, but Katie had to say no to one of them. And he literally threw his toys out of the pram. And we were just like, thank God we're not wow. working with you. <laughs> because he was just absolutely, <laughs> he said it was just like the worst breakup ever. Wow. <laughs> I, secretly, I really want to know who that was. We might have to have a conversation off air on that yeah. one. <laughs> wow. Um, it was a Norwegian one. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, um, it was, I mean, it was you, a you dragon in, in Norway. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. Okay, we can all just go and Google that and find the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you mentioned due diligence, which is, uh, so due diligence, you know, that the process of, verifying all the things that you that you say are true to the investors but also you mentioned about doing your own due diligence on investors what due diligence did you do so we called up a lot of their um the companies that they'd invested in um so we spoke to um numerous people who had had investment from them who'd exited through them who were currently with them um, we spoke to other people in the market and in the industry. So, yeah, so it was just sort of getting on the phone and, and seeing who, who we could talk to and find out what they were like day to day to work with. Did they come back in? How supportive when, you know, when everything was down? All of those kind of questions that we wanted to kind of figure out. Great. I, and I, I cannot stress how important that is. I mean, it's great that you did it. I see a lot of founders not doing that. Um, because they're in a bit of a panic, they're just so grateful that somebody's backed them, they're not stepping into their power. And um, even if you only have one investor on the table, never mind four, that due diligence piece is so important, isn't it? Because if you take an investor on that, that you know, where there are red flags that people have raised, it's, you're on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, listeners due diligence make sure due you diligence. do it and then I mean, on the flip side <laughs> the, the uh, due diligence for us was a painful process really? I would say was it ex why was that was it because the list of due diligence was so long or I think you just you just you just you know you don't realize quite how distracting it is and how full-on it is and you know and it's great because it it gives you you know, going forward, the structure and and organisation that you need. But, you know, when you've just had four years running at full speed and it's like, well, give me every contract you've ever signed. Mm. I'm like, ah, you know, and well, give me, you know, so it was, it's just relentless. And then you've got their legal team and then you have to have a legal team and then you spend three hours on a legal call talking about whether reasonable should be in that clause and you just you just it's yeah, yeah wow. I, mean, <laughs> I mean the due diligence piece I think you know my view on this is the sooner you understand the kind of due diligence that an investor will ask you the yeah. better because it's better to get all your paperwork and everything in order before you start your fundraise 
to, to yeah. minimize the time it takes at the end if you can so it's all those things isn't it like um yeah. proof of um all the contracts you have and you know whether that's employees or suppliers it's proof that your customer database is what it is that you've yeah. got all your statutory paperwork in order i mean it's you know that I mean, it can be, you know, it can be down to the detail of, you know, can we see the certificate that proves that you did get that degree from that university? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. It's it's relentless. Um, and but, it, you know, it's a very good practice and process to have done, yeah. you know, now because the, the business is built on, you know, very solid organizational structures. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, you going out, going out, raising investment for a very female focused product. Did you did you get much pushback on that um, talking knickers to the investment the investment ecosystem? Um, I mean, not really, because we're well. I mean, we always sent them to the wives, girlfriends, sisters, everything else, mm. um, and so they were always a good um, testimony. So yeah, so I think I think they they got over the products quite quickly because they could see the numbers and um, the testimonials. Yeah, well, that's, that's good. And I think that's, that's, you know, trying to find a way to help them connect with the product by looping them, you know, asking them to refer that to people who do understand the market is a, is a good strategy. Um, but it, it all sounds um, very exhausting. <laughs> yes. I mean, I remember, I remember we completed on the 17th of December and I drove to my parents' house and I physically couldn't leave their house till the 5th of January. Wow. Did it, it absolutely wiped you out? Just absolutely wiped me out. Mm. Just absolutely brain dead on every level. <laughs> well, do you think looking back at that round in particular, is there anything that you would have done differently to to try and kind of reduce that? that stress and that toll oh that's a good one it's hard though isn't it when you're sort of in it mm. and you know I think it's a bit like um you know climbing a mountain or I haven't had a child but having a child you sort of you think at the time don't forget how awful this is and then you know and then it's like oh I'm sure it wasn't that bad I don't know what I was making such a fuss about <laughs> Um, so it's it's hard you know I think it would be much easier now because we have those structures and processes in place um, and we've got a bigger team you know at that time as well there was only you know Katie and I running the business and we had a sort of maybe two or three other staff Hmm. so it was very you know very time consuming and you're still trying to run the business and then the moment you're stuck in legal chats for seven hours of the day no one's running the business so then that starts to go down and then the pressure goes up because why aren't you making sales it's like because I'm stuck in legal meetings all day yeah. um you know so it's it's difficult but with a bigger mm. team I think it would yeah be easier it does sound like I mean I, I, I seven hours in legal meetings I'm sure it wasn't one one meeting for seven no, it, um, <laughs> it does sound quite excessive but we, we won't go into the ins and outs of the quality it, of your legal it team felt like that <laughs> It felt like that. <laughs> yeah, and the legals can be complicated, can't they? And again, it's about making sure that you absolutely understand all the things that you're signing up to um, and do have good lawyers on, on board to help you with the process because especially when you get to those bigger rounds and you're yeah. negotiating with experienced investors who do this kind of thing day in, day out, it, it you've got to get it right, haven't you? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
and you've got to have someone who's got your back and Absolutely. who is looking out for you, um, not the other business. Yeah. So um, going back to your point of kind of remembering, you know, that a fundraise is painful, like giving birth. Um, interesting that you then the next year went out and did another fundraise. <laughs> I know, 2022 so but you, you approached that in a very different way didn't you in 2022 yeah so so that one um that one we again sort of we sort of start our we always start our fundraising not really know knowing where the money is going to come from um and and so we we decided just to email our customer database which we hadn't done since 2017 so um, so it was four years later, five years later, so it had grown considerably. So we sent them an email saying, does anyone want to become an investor? And we had the most insane response um, from that one email. I think we got 500, 600 people interested and 200 people became shareholders for 900,000. Wow, that's amazing. Which, but it wasn't But it wasn't a crowdfund per se no, or was it? no. 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 Okay. So we just did it all internally um, through Seed Legals. Okay. So, so like a, pri a, pri a sort of like a private crowdfund, I suppose, with that many yeah. investors. Did they yeah, all come exactly. on to your cap table as direct investors? Yes. yes. So you've so got a, a lot messy. of investors. <laughs> yes. So that is a bit messy on our cap table, but there, we are looking to tidy that up. Yeah. That is um, that is very unusual, actually. Um. I'm interested to know kind of what was the business growth fund's position on that as a, a major investor? How do they feel about having so many other smaller investors on the cap table? Um, they they were fine. Yeah. I mean, as I yeah. said, they're sort of very supportive and um, they, were, they were fine. Yeah. No problem yeah. at all. Great. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, yeah. And of course, all those customers are going to be incredible brand ambassadors. So uh, I think that's a really interesting point that people should be thinking about is actually, you know, we hear a lot about crowdfunding, but it doesn't necessarily have to be done on, on a public platform. It can be done in a very private way. And those yeah. legal platforms are facilitating that, which is really quite something. Yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing. Seed Legals mm. is, is, um, is a great platform for everyone who needs to raise money yeah yeah so Super when you look easy. back over this when you look back over this journey um with all these fundraising rounds to where you are now do you think there's anything you would do differently if you could go back to the start again on the fundraising front um i think you always you always um you never raise enough money do you um true <laughs> each 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 round but then i suppose if you raised more money than you needed then you'd probably spend it unwisely and so you know it's it's a tricky one um because you need to you need to raise enough money to keep you aware of what you're spending and you know and and conservative with what you're doing with it and if you raise too much then you know there might be um well there's always going to be waste and there's always going to be testing, but hmm. yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what you do. Definitely. It's hard. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe nothing. I mean, that's, you know, a perfectly acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's lots we could have done better, but um, yeah. 
you live and learn, don't you? I mean, I suppose if I flip the question the other way and, and think about, you know, for 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 someone listening to this who's maybe earlier on in the journey and thinking about that, that you know, what's ahead, what advice would you give to them? I think you've just got to get out there, talk to as many people as you can. Um, don't take it personally. You know, doesn't mean that if people say no to you, it doesn't mean that you've got a rubbish business or, you know, it's not viable. It just means that that person in that moment, in that time, you know, doesn't have the funds or, you know, people have their own funding um idea of what they want so you know they might be only interested in femtech they might only be interested in dtc businesses they might have already invested in something else so you know don't take it personally talk to as many people as you can um always you know when people say oh no i'm not interested you know it's just like well no problem at all but let me know if you can think of anyone else that might be um and it's just that continuous keep going out there numbers game numbers game it is a numbers game and I think if you can my I would add on to that you know as much as you can pre-qualify people before you spend too much time with them is good because your time is very precious as a founder and you need to protect your energy as, as, as we've talked about and also just when you do get those no's to um, try and dig under the, underneath the nose a little bit to understand why why it's a no, because sometimes there's some really great feedback and insights that you can then take forward into your next investor conversation. Yeah, um, that's a really good point, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Get yeah. all that feedback and, and improve and make it better. Exactly, so we're always learning. Um, so let's turn to the future. Um, and I've, I just want to touch on a really interesting point because you, you recently had some incredible PR when you were featured by none other than Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and I would just love to hear more about the impact that's had for you and what that means for you, if that's linked to kind of where you go next, because I think the US is in your sights, isn't it, for, for future growth. So tell us a bit about the Oprah um, yes. experience. That was, that, was, that was a moment. So we, we knew we, we, we um, stock a store in the US, her local boutique and uh we didn't know it was her local boutique when we stocked it and katie my co-founder has been obsessed with oprah since day one and has been saying we need to get on oprah's favorite things list we need to get on oprah's favorite things list so this has just been manifesting in the background for the entire time we've had the business and um so we suddenly get a call from the the store saying oprah's been in she loves your stuff can you basically send us some more in every color you have and and everything else? I had to stop Katie from sending the entire warehouse to Oprah. Um, and, um, so she got a big box of stuff. She paid for it all. You know, we knew we knew she had her hands on it. And then a couple of months later, we saw her on Instagram wearing our sweatshirt and lounge pants on a yacht reading a book as you do <laughs> so, so we were just like, i know exactly it's where we all want to be um so so we obviously were like oprah oh my god i can't believe you're wearing our you know little england's lounge stuff and she replied saying i love it so much i have it in every color and so we started working with kismet 
to develop and we we knew she wanted another color we knew the color of purple was coming out so we developed a purple range of lavender because she doesn't like bright colors and okay. we sent it over there knowing that oprah's favorite things list was coming up soon as well and then we got the call up to say that we were on the list so it was very exciting and a call with oh. oprah surprise call with oprah was thrown in as well <laughs> Interesting. Oh my god! And what, has, what impact has that had for you? Um, it's been it's been amazing, actually. Yeah, no, it's had a really good, really good impact. The press on Oprah's favorite things list is huge in the US, so it's just generated a lot of eyes on on us, the brand, and we sell it on Amazon US. We have to sell that product on Amazon US, so that's been an eye opener as well getting into Amazon and working out that. So, I mean, already 20% of our 15 to 20% of our DTC businesses through the US um, okay. organically. Um, but it's definitely a focus for us going forward. Mm. So in line with your, you know, your historic pattern of having a fundraise every year. <laughs> oh, God dang is, that, <laughs> is that going to continue? What's the plan on that, Nicola? <laughs> Um, no, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> yes, Ho hopefully we're done with fundraising. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, I mean, we're obviously in the process of one now, just, just a tiny one. Mm. Um, just completing that in the next few weeks. And then, and then unless we have to raise sort of 5 million to take over America in five years time, mm. we'll see, but, um, it will be the last fundraise last one ever and then hopefully it's going to be you on that yacht wearing your loungewear yes. sipping champagne that's, that's the idea <laughs> <laughs> we'll see fabulous i love lot, it a lot of lot of hard work to get there still yeah well a great journey and, and such an impressive growth rate um testament you know to you and katie and and the absolute you know un, unparalleled quality of your product so if if you know if you're listening and you haven't checked out stripe and stare please go and do that um congratulations on all your success we wish you all the best for the future please keep us posted and uh, maybe i'll see you in a jacuzzi again soon nicola <laughs> i hope so thank you so much for having me all right take care thank you thank you thanks for following fundraising stories with female founders this content is all provided to you for free, so if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so you never miss another one. Enter the Arena has helped hundreds of female founders fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business. Our first-hand experience, expert guidance and proven programs help female founders unleash the Wonder Woman inside. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheArena.co.uk. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.